it's time for the Everyman Well, Real Man Talk. Let's go. Time to grind, get inside your mind. Yeah, we working overtime. That's the only way to climb. We gon' make it in our prime. Signing on the dotted line, cashing checks left and right. That's the way I'm living life. Hello, good evening, and welcome to the Everyman Podcast. Tonight we have a very special guest. We have Patrick Ball, a motivational speaker. Patrick, how are you doing this evening? Yeah, very well, thank you, Lewis. Um, thank you for having me on. No, we are delighted to have you on, especially given the recent news that you have just, well, you've had a baby. I always claim that when we've just had one in the last year, but obviously yeah. it's, it's your, your missus has had a baby. I hope yeah. everything's going well. All good? Yeah, yeah. She'll be uh, three weeks old tomorrow. Um, called a Peaches Fear and then Musgrove Boulder company is called Musgrove and Boulder we set up. So Fits in yep. quite nicely with that as well. But yeah, she'll be three weeks old tomorrow. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, she doesn't sleep a minute at night, sleeps all day. Just the, us- the usual story. Yeah, though, it's, um, I have to be honest. So we've just had our, our first like 10 months ago, and it is way harder than I ever imagined it would be. And it's, it's the sleep, as you say, it's that first part where they sleep when you don't want them to sleep. And then when you want them to sleep, they're like, I'm not playing that game. Yeah, exactly. And that, that nice, that minute where you think you've got them settled at like three in the morning, they've had a bottle, yeah. you've changed them, there can't be possibly anything wrong. You put them down, you go and lay down, you put your head on the pillow and then it's wah, wah, and, it, and they're up again. So, uh, yeah, yeah, not good, but um, it's it's worth it. It's worth every minute, isn't ah. it? Yeah, 100%. Ethan, how are you doing tonight, mate? Yeah, good, mate. Uh, I've got no screaming babies to look after, so, you know, I'm living the dream, me. Um, unfortunately, guys. <laughs> lots of sleep. <laughs> uh, lots of sleep, yes, lots of sleep. Just how I like it. And forever, mate, stay. Um, been a productive week for me, guys. Though. I've got some good news. So, obviously, um, Patrick, just to shed a bit of light, I've, I had back surgery, emergency back surgery in December. Um, mm-hmm. My first week back this week um, at work and also sort of at the gym and boot camp and things like that. So, Touch wood, it's been a it's been a great week for me. Um back at time well, fifth odds down the beach training. Um got to the uh, actually I got roped into going to the sea as well for recovery. I know a lot of people at the moment I think that's the big thing. Um obviously Human talking about exactly the likes of Andrew Human, uh Wim Hof, things like that talking about it a lot. So I got roped into going down there, um and that was actually a massive club of about 30, 40 people there. Um, I think it was called Was that Stiff yesterday club morning? Official. It was yesterday morning, yeah. It was great. Yeah, I did um, see that. I, yeah, it was fantastic. Uh, there was loads of people there. Everyone was so nice and polite. I think it was called Dip Club Official on Instagram if anyone's giving a follow. Um, I think they do them often. So it was really good. So that's been a productive week for me, chaps. You know, like I say, no babies holding me back. Sky's the limit. Yeah. <laughs> I've tried the cold water therapy. I, I go to Virgin and it's kind of one of them things you really have to kind of with the sea it's a bit easier to kind of just run in and then you're just going to regret it a few seconds later i do the whole just trying to gradually turn the shower down at the gym and then mm. you have that 10 seconds of just screaming almost just and everyone going what's he up to in that cubicle and um yeah. but yeah no it's a horrible feeling i think it's one of those things you just have to dive straight in yeah oh, 100%, 100%. It was last summer, wasn't it, Ethan? We were doing um, like beach runs and stuff, and it was not. It, it was a mildish day, but Ethan was like, "Come on, we'll get in the sea," and we were stood there at probably like fifteen minutes. 
yeah. after the first few minutes, you, you kind of just acclimatize, don't you? And you're fine. And it was really good. But that first bit, it's it's when it like you get gradually up to like waist height and you're like, oh, God, it, it hits like yeah. the bottom of your belly. And you're like, oh, it's freezing cold. Yeah. But Whereas yeah, so. if you just jump in, it's like, I'm going to die. Like, this is horrendous. And then a few seconds later, I'm, I'm not too bad. I can, I can, I can do this. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, fair play. It's meant to. It's really good for you. It's really good for uh, your mental well-being, and you, what it, I think it's like your circulation, and there's all sorts of benefits to it. But it's pretty yeah. horrible that for a couple of seconds. So, yeah. like all good things. Oh, that's exactly. It. And, and I mate, think what exactly. a way to what what a way to start your day. If if the if you start your day on a real shit thing, <laughs> at least then the rest of the day is probably gonna like if you have a bad meeting at work or you. Have an argument with someone it's it's probably not going to be worse than being yeah. freezing cold in the middle of the north people, sea for a bit that's, some people say they get up at like i'm not a big fan of that whole hustle culture get up at 5 a.m jump in a cold freezing tin, tin, like the, the feeling of getting in at three in the afternoon when it's quite a sunny day i struggle with so getting in at five in the morning when i just want to be in my bed would be like the worst thing ever like it's just awful yeah yeah no well that was I it for me that. That was it for me. I was just going to say, I got roped, it was like five o'clock. We all met, five in the morning. Knowing it was oh. the sunrise, I took photos. And like, I think it was just, because there's so many of you as well, you've got to be like, I can't be chicken out now. Oh as much God, as you're yeah. like, yeah. Because you're like, I'm not the first to get out. You stay in, the longer you stay in, poor game. See, I am that yeah. guy. I'm that guy that if I if I was to get roped into going on... Um, like, what's the, the ride at Alton Towers that just goes straight down? What's it called? It's been out for 20 years or whatever. Is it Oblivion or something? Obliv- Oblivion, yeah. I'm the guy, though. I, I'd have no shame in going to the front of the queue and going, no, shit, no, turn around. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm that guy. You. I'm that guy. Like, I'd, yeah. I'd rather that than me hanging upside down, scared for my life, like, and just panic attacking all over the ride. Like, I'll, I'll turn around. So I would have gone there five in the morning and go, no, you know what, lads, not for me. But uh, I, I get what you mean. I think if everyone's doing it all in, one in, all in kind of thing. Oh, hundred yeah. percent. Well, actually, I'm I'm the opposite. Me, like my my other pal, not this Lewis, my other best pal, Lewis. It, me and him always used to be, you know, used to be like, I'll do it if you do it. And you get in yeah. some serious trouble doing that. So not having been that mentality, but no, it's great. Yeah. What about you, Lou? How are you feeling? How are you doing? Yeah, really good, mate. I I was just saying to you before, wasn't it? It's a week today till I go on holiday for a couple of weeks, and I am just really ready for it. Um, it's been a it's been a hard year. Obviously, I've been promoted at work. We've just finished doing the house up. We've had our son, and you know when you're just like, wow, it's a week till I get to spend two weeks in the sun and do pretty much fuck all for two weeks, not think about work, not think about the nine to five every day stress. So yeah, I am very much on that just get this next week of work out the way i've got i'm in london for a few days next week and then yeah i'm all on my manual leave so very excited yeah so so patrick um it would be great for you to probably introduce yourself a little bit further to to our guests obviously I, i've described you very simply as a, a motivational speaker just just mm-hmm. an introduction into probably who you are and uh, some of the work that that you do and then we can delve deeper into your story and I'm sure there's from reading that the information you sent over to me it sounds so interesting and something that a lot of our listeners and even me and Ethan will definitely be able to resonate with yeah fantastic so 
Yeah, I'm Patrick. Um, I run a business called Musgrove and Ball with my partner, Sophie Musgrove. And it, it's actually Sophie, I think you got in contact first. It was, yeah. It kind of told it out. Um, and yeah, so essentially we set up a business last year. I've been in recovery coming up to four years. It'll be four years in July. Um, I was your typical kind of party boy. And obviously we'll go into that kind of story, but it was kind of party boy to blackout artist over a number of years, but my background was in sales. So I worked in the corporate world for about 15 years. I'd done a little spelling, built in the building trade before that. Um, and it was just kind of that progression. And what we do is um, we go into businesses and I share my life story of kind of, you know, not every addict or someone in recovery has got this horrific childhood that led to trauma, that, that led to this addiction, that impact on the life. The business is all about educating companies, um, and the idea is that we go into businesses and we train their HR managers, well-being champions, how to spot addiction in the workplace, um, you know, how to make events less alcohol-centric. But we tend to go into the big corporate companies, so like your Virgin Actives and so on. Um, yeah. And, yeah, we, 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 set up, we launched in about September. Um, and it, like I say, it was off the need of noticing that businesses didn't know how to deal with addiction. They didn't know what it looks like. And what we essentially show is that anyone can suffer with addiction. And the main bits we go into is the drugs and alcohol, but that can be gambling, porn, sex, anything, um, you know, eating disorders. And we go in and we kind of educate them on what to look out for, how people's behaviors can change. You know, they can work there for four years and it could be in their fourth year. They might not even be a big drinker and it could escalate. They could lose a loved one and they all split up with their wife or husband and go down that path. And we also touch yeah. upon things like mummy wine culture as well. So essentially that's it. We're going to businesses. The, the hook is me sharing my story um, yeah. of addiction. Um, when I worked in sales, I worked in big companies. I was homeless three times on that way. And, and it's just about then how I turned my life around, how I got sober, going into the inquiry. This is that we want to make businesses more approachable. We want to end the stigma, the anonymity side of addiction, of sobriety. We want to kind of help people be proud to say, look, I've got a problem, but I'm addressing it. You know, I need your help. I need my company to support me when I'm at my lowest. And obviously that ties into things like the suicides and, you know, men, you know, young men taking their own life. I know ladies do it as well, but it, yeah. it's that whole kind of journey. And we want to kind of really make an impact on the business world. Yeah, no, that sounds like some much needed work. And so previously, um, my, my background is education actually ahead of like before I, do what I do today and so I work in marketing now for um, a, a large telecom slash technology business and um, I, I remember being so I did a lot of work with like the MOD and lots of fairly large employers and yeah. we would do a lot of work getting unemployed people into work and they always said that a lot of their issues was actually keeping some of these people in work because actually you find that people who've been unemployed for maybe a longer period of time, things like addiction and maybe some substance abuse and things just come into their life. And it could be things like boredom. It could be yeah. to deal with the stress that they have in their everyday life. It could be the fact that it's the way they cope with what that, what they maybe have, have experienced previously. And yeah. you, and I think it's really needed actually for, because I've seen firsthand how these, 
HR managers, these large employers really struggle to retain these people because yes, they're great at the onboarding because they do that every single day. But that that retention piece of being able to support an employee's well-being and make them feel like or, or to be able to recognize that this person is going to come may, may come into work today struggling because they have X problem going on in their life. Yeah, lots of empl- large employers and and small employers, obviously, because they won't have the budget, just don't have the infrastructure internally to be able to tailor maybe a more personal support for that individual's needs. So, yeah, yeah. It sounds like you're doing some really great work. And I'm sure I have a lot of following in within HR uh, managers, L&D manage- teams, recruitment people. So, yeah, I'm sure a lot of them will probably reach out after this because it's definitely something yeah. that is that is uh, that is needed. And it's like you say, it's the people in the culture. And I know we'll go into it in more detail, but it's looking at a business and saying, you know, the fact that our tagline is, look, only one in five people get the help they need with alcohol. The other four could be working for you. So like 70% of substance abusers are in full-time employment, you know. And like you said, people think it's just the ones where you see on the street who were trying to get a home and were trying to get a job and will they keep the job and all that. It's yeah, that's that's part of the problem. But you know, the bigger problem is in businesses with everyday people that you'll work with that you won't realise that have an addiction that you know, once they have that first drink, they can't stop. You know, yeah. the weekends are filled with just drinking and drugs and just trying to get through the working week. Yeah, it, do you know it, it was something for me that when the pandemic happened, a lot of how businesses were engaging their staff was maybe with remote parties or remote social gatherings and it ended up just being people getting pissed at home on teams meetings that the manager might put on like a oh we'll we'll do a quiz night or whatever and but actually through the through the pandemic especially if i look at my friends group there's a mixture of people who either got really healthy cut out all the shit exercised loads because we had way more time or actually just started drinking loads and eating shit because actually there was nothing else to really do um, yeah, I mean, I'm so I'm so thankful that I got sober uh, the summer before the pandemic because I remember a few years ago working for um, Vitality, working for you know big health insurance company. It was during the year we got to the semi final of the World Cup, and my usage I worked from home, so I went in the office once a month, and my yeah. usage was just horrific. Like we're talking, I was turning up to conferences on the back of or like. We, I turned up to the summer conference. I was on day three of a bender. And, you know, I, t- I went there with an eight for Coke in my pocket. I had drinks in. It was in Cardiff at Celtic Manor or Newport, wherever Celtic Manor is in Wales. Um, yeah. And, yeah, just I smashed open the minibar. Like, it was horrific, like, the the way I ended up. So I, if I had not got sober when I did, you know, going into a pandemic, the stress, the anxiety. I mean, a lot of the work we do as well with businesses is helping them understand how to spot an, an addict or someone who's struggling with alcohol and being proactive with like your hybrid model where you've got people away from home you know is is that person how come they've never got the camera on on a monday the, the different kind of things that a business can look out for and it's fantastic like the uptake and the companies that have come back to us and you know after we've worked with them for a little bit and said the improvements in the team just putting in little things for the gym and different incentives for stuff like that it's like you said boarding was something that you mentioned earlier and yeah it's an element but the opposite of sobriety is not not drinking it's connection it's finding things to replace it with it's someone seeing that 
I'm not boring if I don't drink. You know, I can fill my weekends spending time with my family, my friends, going to different places. You know, the alcohol-free market's fantastic now. Like you've said, you've been to cold water therapy this morning. Um, you know, yourself, you're going on holiday next week. You know, life doesn't center yeah. around alcohol, but some people it does. And it's kind of yeah. helping you understand. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think so. I think it's a big you hit the nail on the head there. There's a big drinking culture inside work and outside of work. I think yeah. especially for us sort of uh, not discriminating, but just us men, where you would like to see our friends all the time. Like I'm big on seeing my pals and that. But if you if you think about it, you soon start not seeing your pals if you're not going out every Friday or Saturday or Sunday on the drink. You soon yeah. it yeah. starts to turn to weeks, weeks turn to months, months turns into years that I don't see friends because I'm not willing to go out on a Saturday night, spend 152 pounds just getting pissed because it's an expensive it's an expensive hobby alcohol as well, never mind like drugs and things like that. You know, I appreciate you being so open and that side of things, but it, it, it's such an expensive hobby. And what do you get out of it? You know, you get the next day, you get the anxiety, you know, you, the blues, you know, oh, I would have spoke absolute shit to these people. You know, what have I said to this person, that person? You text your ex-girlfriend, you know, I did that yeah. a while ago. I, I, and Bali with my girlfriend, and I got mortal at the Newcastle Man U game. Text her, just I texted her a photo of the moon and said, Isn't the moon nice tonight? You know, that's, that's how on another planet I was, drink wise. And it's, it's yeah. funny, it is funny, it's it's good crack, but I'm not like, a, like it's no, it's really shit game. crack. It is shit yeah. crack. It is shit but the anxiety, crack. the anxiety that goes alongside it. It's just horrific. Yeah. Like that, like you mentioned, that next day. And it, it you really like what the big thing I've learned in sobriety is you kind of learn who your friend who your real friends are. You know, you get people who you find were just drinking buddies, and it starts off and, and this is kind of what we say to people, it's kind of when you're young, you're 21, 20, and you're going into the pub on a Friday with your mates and you're in sales, they're a builder, they're a plumber, you've got all your mates, you have the best time. Don't go like I had some of the best times of my life, you know, back then. Yeah. Um, but it's when I started noticing that they, you know, still go out every weekend, but then I'm out on a Tuesday night and I'm having a bag, you know, I'm having a bag was just playing a few games of pool on a Tuesday night and then I'm going to work and it becomes more of a pattern and they start settling down and they start getting married and they start having kids and you're still there and you're going in every weekend. But like, like I say, there's still, I've still got lots of mates who are still in that scene and even though they have settled down and I've managed to kind of pull away. But I've got real mates who were the ones at the time were going, come on, you, you're probably a bit going a bit far now, you know, just have a, you know, just stay and we'll go and do this. We'll go, we'll go to the football. We don't have to drink. And it, it's yeah. kind of noticing, you know, who your real mates are. Because I've got lads who I thought were good mates who just, I don't really speak to anymore. And it's like, and I don't miss them out of my life because I realised all we had in common was we like to get on it. Yeah. I have to be honest. No. So um, me and Ethan have known each other, what? 12, 13 years or something now. So I, I I lived all over. My dad's in the forces and I moved up to Newcastle when I was like 18 and a half and um, met Ethan and his friends group. And I, I actually, I've never fallen out with some of the friends group, but I just don't see them anymore. Yeah. And it's because I don't, like my weekends now don't revolve around me going out, getting pissed. And it used, it definitely used to, where it used to be Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, every single week. Like Newcastle is a huge drinking culture. And yeah, it, it's something that, as you say, if I've seen any of those lads now, I love them dearly. They're great lads. They, I, I feel like they'll do anything for me. I'll do anything for them. But it felt like it got to a point almost where 
that the only thing we did was go out on the drink. Yeah. And it, it's hard as you get older because your priorities change. You go from almost like for me, I, we've talked about this on a previous episode. I always felt like I had to try and prove something on a night out. Like yeah, I always yeah. had to try and be the man. I had to be the guy to spend a fortune. I had to be the guy to, and I don't, I'm not very good with my limits with alcohol. I have to be honest, where if I start drinking, I, I don't know what pissed is. It's like I drink until I can't drink anymore and I'm just a tit. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you, you've hit, again, you're hitting the nail on the head and it, it's like, I think maybe mine came across a little bit wrong. It, you're quite right. I didn't fall out with these people. Yeah. You know, in the kindest way to them, they're just not, they don't add any value anymore. You know, they might, you might get a like on a post or something like that. Or, you know, like say, if you see them uptown, you can have a little chat if you're out shopping and you see them. And, you know, I've, I've got no problem. I'll go into pubs now and I'll drink Coke Zero or J2O and I'll, you know, watch football yeah. and stuff like that. But I just don't come across the same circles as much. And, you know, I wish out all of them well who are in that group. Yeah. Some who are kind of a little bit in the middle where yeah. you, you occasionally hear from them and I might go for a curry once a year or something like that or I'll see or go to like a horse racing event or something like that. But generally yeah. then you've got your mates who they, they will do stuff with you. You'll go on different things. You'll go to football with or whatever it may be. But yeah, completely. And it, it's just kind of working out who's going to have value because you go to that next step in your life where your family thing, situation changes, your career changes and you, you've got yeah. to take people along the way that are going to add value. But you know, like I say, it's not just falling out with people or anything like that. There's no need for any of that. It's just kind of saying, no. right, okay, I don't drink anymore. I'm not part of that lifestyle and just and just getting on with it. Yeah. I, th- I think for me, I'm trying to get to that point. So, um, like, I've made a, a pledge to try and not drink this year. This holiday is going to be the first holiday in since I was, what, 16 or something that I – maybe 15 that I'm going to go abroad and not have anything to drink or haven't done it yet, but that's the plan. Um, Very much trying to make my, my, my life one where like being sober is the thing. And it's mainly because I wake up the next day and I feel horrendous and I spent a fortune. I've chatted a load of shit the night before, as Ethan said. And then it's like like doing things like this podcast. It, It means I have a busy job. I have a new son, I have a, a family. It's then, if I then add alcohol to that, the podcast probably goes because there's only so much time in the week or yeah. me playing football goes or me going for a run goes because that you know what it's like. You, you go out on the weekend and you have all the best interests, all the best intention Monday to Friday, you go out on the weekend. Then the next week, your diet's out the window, you eat a load of shit, you put all the weight back on that you've been healthy for yeah. a couple of weeks. And then you have to start again the first of the next month, only if it's a Monday. It's just always the same, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, no, 100%. And it's, like you said, it's getting into those routines. What I'd say is when you go on this holiday, obviously it's your first one. um, It was quite weird for me because the pandemic hit and then no one was going on holiday. So we went on a couple in the UK and stuff like that. But we went to New York last year. And yeah. for me, the big thing I noticed is it was all about the stopwatch in my head. Now, obviously, you're changing for different reasons and, you know, yeah. lifestyle and stuff like that and your relationship with alcohol. For me, when I think back to my relationship with alcohol back then, when I was drinking, it was continuously thinking about alcohol. It was continuously like, okay, what time am I going to start drinking? When I'm drinking, okay, like how many can I get in? How much money have I got on me? How many pints? And everything, like money wasn't 60 euros. Money was... 
okay, that's 10, 10 pints or whatever it is. Everything was measured up. Well, okay, if I just have like a spag bol or something, that'll leave me 50 odd euros in my budget. If I drink yeah. these beers, then that'll get me more alcohol. But that alcohol's stronger, so it's worth it. I'm constantly, and then the same wow. when I was in pubs in the UK, my my usage was continuously thinking, right, okay, when's last orders? Okay, am I pissed enough? Okay, I need to get as much alcohol before last orders. Okay, I'm going to get a pint for now. I'm going to have two to save at the table because they'll kick us out at half 11. And it's that stopwatch in your head. And the again, do you know when someone, for example, you finish working, kind of some of the signs you can tell whether you've got an alcohol problem. One of the big things I learned was when, you were, when you're at work and you've got someone who's in your, in your office who's thinking about alcohol a lot, and they say to themselves, oh, okay, at five o'clock, I'm going to go to the pub. And you can tell from conversations with people, interactions with colleagues, you know, that someone who's a big drinker, someone who looks forward to finishing work and getting a few cans or, you know, planning their trip to get eight cans from the shop, depending yeah. again what industry you're on. But that feeling when you're thinking at one o'clock, I'm going to get these beers, and you get to the pub and it's 10 past five, you have that first sip of alcohol and you go, ah. That's not alcohol because alcohol takes about 20, 25 minutes into, uh, to stop, to hit your system, sorry. So, you know, that's just you ending the argument in your head of when you're next going to drink. You know, that feeling with your brain, I've, I've fulfilled my addiction. My addiction is telling me you need beer, you need beer, you need vodka or whatever it is. And it's that mm -hmm. kind of, like I say, and it's fantastic. I wish you the best of luck, obviously, this year in getting, you know, through it sober yeah. um it will be the, uh, probably one of the biggest accomplishments that you'll do because you know the people yeah. who manage i think once you get past that 90 day mark which you'll be past now obviously into april um yeah. it does it does get easier and you know i think it's definitely worth doing yeah no it's definitely it's definitely one that I, i'm um keen to do ethan i know you've talked about it in the past as well around you, you you've said before you and I, i'm going to try and direct quote you here you wish you didn't drink alcohol. You wish you could not drink alcohol again. Now that's probably been a month, five, six weeks or so since the last time we we had that chat. How, how are you feeling about that still? Do you still feel the same as you did then? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's tricky for me. Um, you know, I appreciate you guys are on your own journeys. Obviously, Lou, you're on a, a sort of relatively um, newer journey. Um, in this respect, and and it's something I admire from both years. You know, the, it, it takes a lot of courage because you are isolating yourself. Um, and obviously, I mean that with no disrespect, but you're isolating yourself from being able to go to the pub, you know, and and have those drinks of those pals. You're not necessarily isolating yourself in a way of you can't go, but you you can't maybe get in amongst the lads. You can't make those memories that you know when you're twenty twenty one and you're getting really drunk and you doing stupid stuff like jumping off uh, cliffs in the sea and Magaluf or, you know, you're doing stuff in Whitney Bay, yeah. chatting up girls, you know, things like that. You can't do that anymore. Um, but I envy you guys. I envy you having the fact that now you're a family men, you know, you've got life all pretty much worked out. It's something I've not really done and I'm 30 now, you know. Oh, I don't know about that. I'm, <laughs> I know. Well, well, I say that. But yeah, but I'm 30, you know, and I'm nowhere near you guys in respect of I don't have a girlfriend, I don't have you know, um, I'm not financially stable. I've, I haven't got my own company. You know, I'm not motivating people like you to, obviously, um, in, in your journey. I think for me, I wish I'd never started drinking because of the fact that the, the money I've spent, you know, on money and mm -hmm. drugs. Obviously, I won't go too much into drugs because obviously it's not something I do now, but I have in the past before my current employer. 
Um, you know, the money's exponential. I've seen on Facebook once, if you get the money back that you spend on nights out, you know, you'd be, I'm probably, I'd probably be a multi-millionaire. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, you know, we, we, this, is, this is something that's quite interesting, really, because, um, you know, we put it into the monetary side. I've spent well into the six figures on cocaine yeah. and drugs. Like I say, I've, I've had months where I've spent three grand on coke and it's it's mental. So my dogs are fighting in the background, if you can hear that. Um, that's all right. But, but yeah, it, it's it's quite an interesting one, actually, because um, it's not strictly true. What, what the kind of stuff you're saying, and it's something that I address with people. Like, I get what you're saying, you know, in terms of it's... Alcohol is just something where you say to someone, if someone jumps off a cliff in Magaluf or you go to IB for on holiday or whatever, you know, these are some of the areas of my life which I did when I was younger and absolutely loved. Went to Magaluf, went to Ibiza, did all these crazy things and things that I wouldn't chuck out on a podcast, believe me. Um, and I'd like to say some of the best times of my life and some fantastic stories to tell in the pub, you know, and talk with my mates when I'm 60 or 70 years old. Um, yeah. But people are under the perception that you would have only done some of these things because of alcohol. Now, some of them, don't get me wrong, you would. You know, the things like you're not going to text your ex-missus some of the stuff that you would if you'd had a few drinks and all stuff that you mentioned um, in your story before. But the memories and stuff that you're talking about, going to the pub, you know, watching England in a World Cup, in the pub, in the semi-final with your mates and celebrating, jumping on a pool table, dancing, doing karaoke, all these kind of things. There's no reason why you can't do it. It's, it's on the individual, of course, because alcohol breeds confidence into people. But I also got to the opposite where, like I say, with my drug usage and cocaine, the last thing I wanted to do was, compared to being 21 and taking a bit of sniff and thinking I'm on top of the world, the longer you use it, the more it goes on into your 30s and then even further, um, it might give you confidence in that first hour. But the last, what you find is you just start pulling away from your mates. You're wanting to be at home. You're wanting to. And I got to the point where I was at home with like a plate of cocaine at like five in the morning, curtain twitching, you know, with just opening bottles, coughing when I'm opening bottles and stuff like that. Um, just pure anxiety. And like, my, I got to a point where I was drinking in the morning because I didn't want the session to end. Do you know, like when some people go, oh, I just don't want to go home and it finishes at two or three in the morning. Mine would go on for four or five days because the thought of sobering up and facing what I'd done, you know, some of it I would have been blacked out for, not knowing what you'd said, who you'd messaged, what, what weirdness goes on when you're, when you're on it. it, yeah. it it's quite crazy. So like I say, those memories are fantastic. And with your addiction, it will paint this picture of, right, okay, you need a drink because if you have a drink, you're going to go and meet the lads and you're going to have the best time and you're going to be singing and dancing and stuff like that. And that first two or three hours in the pub on a Friday was fantastic. Jukeboxes on in the pub, everyone singing, dancing, getting pissed up, doing shots. The reality is, though, come two in the morning, it's anything but it's anything but yeah. fun. It's not the kind of memories that you're talking about. So when your mind, and this is going into kind of how your mind's thinking at the moment, which is I don't want to never drink again because I'm going to miss out on all that. That's the drink inside of your brain saying to you, right, okay, it's fun when we drink because all my mates are having fun. We're all in the pub and that kind of stuff. If you take the second part of that, which is the anxiety, and start saying to yourself, well, is it all fun? Like on the Sunday when I'm laid up in bed, I don't want to answer the phone. I don't want to look at the phone. I want to, you know, I don't want to be here anymore. I want, you know, I'm thinking, I'm sat there going, oh, look at you. You're, you're lazy. You've not been to the gym. You're unhealthy. You're hungover. Yeah. You've palpitations all that kind of stuff and 
that this is purely like you say maybe a mindset maybe it's something where in your mind you're, you're looking at us saying that we're further along the journey and maybe we are maybe but you know i reached breaking point where i just couldn't take anymore you know i just i, I tried to get sober a few times um, but it is a stage where you'll come to where you'll notice that it starts off fun, like in your head at the moment. It becomes fun with problems, which I think is where you're probably at, at the moment, where you don't want to drink, but you don't want to miss out. You, you, it's a bit of that FOMO feeling. But then it gets to a point where it's not fun with problems; it's just problems, you know. So every time you drink, there's just something bad's happening, and it's kind of it's just switching the mindset really of kind of spotting which bits addiction what you can do when you're not drinking, you know, all these fun moments, there's millions that you can do without a drink, you know, that are just as good that you can get them in um, dopamine that you need in your body and all that kind of stuff. So, it, but it, it is really interesting that you're at that stage and you're at 30, because I think I was 30, um, 32 when I went into rehab. I just turned 32 that week and that's when I went. So you never know, in about two years' time, it could be yourself. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate you saying that, you know, and I, I do see it a bit more clear after thinking that way, um, you know, and, and unfortunately at the moment as well, I'm trying to surround myself and I'm lucky enough to surround myself with some great people, people that instead of saying, do you want to come to the pub on a Friday and have a few pints and say, let's go to the lakes, you know, we'll jump in the car 6am on Saturday morning, we'll go to the lakes for the day, go do a hike or go to the, let's go to the gym. And people yeah. who hold you accountable, I think being accountable for your actions is massive. Um, yeah. You know, like you were saying, when you, you've got that anxiety from the drink and the drugs and you lie in bed, you don't answer your phone, you're not accountable for who you are and your actions. Yeah. And it, it takes yeah. a lot to have certain people in your life who hold you to that. So, you know, it, it's, it is a lot. And I think it's the, the physical toll as well. You know, the, it, a lot can be said about the calories in alcohol. I know, obviously, when yeah. you go into your spirits, probably not so much the likes of vodka, but I drink a fruity cider, you know, and you're looking at four, five, six hundred calories in the bottle. And I'm doing 10, 10, 20 bottles. You know, if I go on a day session, it could be 20 bottles. You know, and all that, yeah. like you've mentioned, or Lou, I think you mentioned, all the work you've done in the week, you know, you're doing a 1,000 calories a day um, deficit. You know, on a Saturday, I'm having 10,000 calories. So I'm actually having 5,000 calories over yeah. what, I've, what I've burned. So Saved it's just up all insane. week. Yeah, just, just, all just that, that's so true. And when you look at it and it's, and deciding what you're going to drink and the health reason. One thing to make clear as well for anyone that is listening in this is that, you know, as a company and as what we do, and when I go into businesses, we're not anti-alcohol. So in terms of it, you know, I've, I've been sober for four years. Sophie's over a thousand days. She'll be three years next month, actually, in May. Um, hers was different. Like I say, hers was just, she had a bad relationship with alcohol. When she'd have a drink, she'd kind of switch up and change a bit because she's dealing with grief and losing a dad and losing a few years ago and all this, all these different things and whatever happens in life. It's just, she found that it just wasn't adding any value. Um, and, but we're not anti-alcohol. Now the thing with yourself is that you might not have an awful relationship long-term Well, you might be able to get to a point where you can have that healthy relationship because you're replacing what you're doing and it's not every night. You're not drinking even every week or something. You're drinking occasionally, but then the rest of the time you're going to the lakes, you're doing all these amazing things, making good memories away from alcohol. You'll slowly realize, probably a bit like what Lewis said, that it's not adding a lot of value, but it's not a big problem. You know, if you want to have a drink when you get married in a few years, I wish I'd got to the point where I'd realized and been able to control it so that people ask you, you know, will you have a drink when you get married? And I'm like, no. Like, will you have a drink on your son's 18th birthday with him? 
no, but I'll buy him one, you know, that kind of thing. If he wants a pint, yeah. he can have a pint. And it's kind of realising that we're all at different stages of the journey. We don't all need to cut alcohol completely out, but we just need to be aware of it, that if it becomes a problem, that we can address it and that there's no shame in it. In, you know, telling your mate, if he says to you, go on, have a drink, say, no, I don't drink. You know, I don't want it, or I don't want to drink today. Well, I'm not going to have a drink till this day. And I think it's really important just to get that across because some of the in my life is reading stories of kind of life coaches on LinkedIn where they're like, you know, alcohol's bad, alcohol's going to kill you, you know, if you don't stop smoking, if you don't go to the gym at 6 a.m. and all this. And great, that works. It's not for achievable. Them. It's not achievable it's for everyone. That's the thing. Yeah. Exactly. It's not realistic. And you know, the fact is not everyone is an out-and-out alcoholic. And when we go into companies, we talk about this and we say, look, some people just need to cut back because it's impacting on the performance at work. If you're having a bottle of wine every night, you know, mm -hmm. you've got the calories, like you said, you're not going to be going to the gym. You're not going to be having quality time with your kids and your family. You're going to probably yeah. go into work the next day still a bit pissed, but maybe even over the limit, you know, and every night you've got this mental block in your brain of, I need to buy the bottle of wine on the way home. I need to do this. But also there's other people in a business who don't drink for religious reason, reasons, cultural reasons. And it's kind of making companies more inclusive. It's kind of saying, look, not every work event can be just, you know, let's have a meal and an unlimited free bar. Go out into Newcastle or Sheffield yeah. or Nottingham or wherever and just get pissed. You know, there's got to yeah. be other options. Now, alcohol can still have a place. You can still have tokens for alcohol, a couple of bottles of wine on the table, but have a couple of, like, no Zecco bottles. Have some alcohol-free Heineken Zeros or whatever. Do you know what I mean? There's, there's different things that people can do as well. Um, but, again, you'll get to the point where you'll realise, and the good thing is, because there's people... I'd like to think like myself, like Lewis, this podcast, people you'll speak to, you've got like the Dapper Laughs podcast, James English, different people you'll speak to. We want to end the shame of being an alcoholic or being in recovery or taking a break from alcohol, not being, you know, oh, look at you, puff, get a drink down here. What's wrong with you? Go on, you've been eight weeks. You, you've proven you don't have to drink every day. And it's kind of looking at that, really. And I think, you know, the good thing is, like I say, you're aware of where you're at. You're aware yeah. that it might not be for you one day, but at the moment you're not ready to give up and that's fine. I relapsed many times before I went into rehab. Yeah. No, I think, I think that's a, a really good point. And equally, not everyone needs to get to that point of wanting to quit. As you say, you might just learn to, to live with it in a way that's more healthy and balanced that you can live the life that you want with alcohol. Personally, I just don't think that's where at the stage I'm at in my life now, it's, it's just not needed. Um, what I did want to touch on, uh, Patrick, because obviously you sent some information over before, which was really cool, and it gave me a good insight into you. So we are huge football fans. We, I think we have me, myself, and yourself have a similar background as Ethan calls out on every single podcast. Um, you started, you, you did okay at football to to a level. You got released from an academy, I believe, at eighteen. Um, yes. What one? I definitely want to talk about that because it's definitely affected my life to a degree too. Um, but in terms of what was the, what was your early life like with alcohol and, and yeah. potentially drugs? Yeah. I realized cause I probably just jumped on the call and we're on the podcast and was like, yeah, let's go straight into the business. No, 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 it's, 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 yeah, it's my good. whole life, which you wanted me on for. So yeah, no, absolutely. So growing up, I had a great childhood. I've got four brothers. Um, you know, I'm from Sheffield, 
did a little bit of moving around when my mum and dad split up, you know, get, but a good, strong family unit. And it's, again, one of the things we always get across is that not everyone has this horrific childhood. But mine was always, like I say, I played football from a young age. Um, yeah. You know, I didn't get to like a Newcastle United or anything like that. I wasn't that good. Um, but yeah. played in like your, your local academies. There was uh, like college academies, stuff like that. Um, yeah. I went off to America to coach football as well. So I went off and coached for MLS camps when I was like yeah. 19. But on that journey, I kind of left school at 16. And I was a bit surprised because I pissed about a lot. I started getting into kind of drinking and stuff when I was about 12. But it wasn't yeah. constant. It's just, you know, having older brothers. I remember first getting drunk when I was 12. So I was on a family holiday in Paynton down south. Um, went with yeah. my dad and three of my brothers. And um, essentially, you know, when they've got cans lying around on the beach, they were like 17, 18, and lads with them. Um, my old man was, you know, at the caravan or at the, like, where the elderly people, not elderly, it would have been about 40, wouldn't it? But, you know, yeah. <laughs> been having a drink in the, in the like, working men's club or whatever was on the on the uh, caravan park. Um, and I was there just, you know, grabbing a can of Fosters and stuff. Anyway, I've had four or five cans. I'm pissed off. I'm 12 at the end of the day. Um, you know, trying to jump in the sea. My brother's like, what, have you been drinking? And I'm like, because I've been sneaking it. And that was the first time I got drunk. Um, and did that at different family events growing up. And then when I got to about 15, 16, this is when I was started to drink uh, while I was doing my GCSEs and stuff. Went to college and it was at 16 where I just kind of, I fell into it. I was I was kind of the the face of the academy really because we, we did all our also the practical, sorry, the theory stuff like BTEX and stuff like that at, at a college in Newark and yeah. Sherwood College in Nottinghamshire. Um, yeah. And we were kind of, you know, everyone knew who we were because we we're all in our football gear and tracksuits and stuff like that. You had to wear around all branded Adidas and all this kind of stuff. Um, and then because it was an under-19s academy, um, the lady who ran our local, who ran the hairdressing part of the college, she was the head bouncer at uh, the club in the town, which everyone went to. So everyone assumed we were about 18, 19. So at 16, I'm getting in the clubs. Um, and it was at 16 that I first started taking pills. Um, I got I pulled into kind of the coke scene. Um, so from about 16, I've, I've, I'd done a bit of weed at 15. So from 16, I, pulled, I still had this. My family had no clue, you know, because I had this great home life. I was going back home, but I was just kind of allowed a bit of freedom to go out with mates and stuff. But it didn't start off like five-day benders. It kind of started off with, you know, a little half a gram, you know, taking uh, taking a pill but doing them in halves or taking two pills on a Saturday and half a gram of Charlie. And it's just kind of – it escalates from there. So you might have a day – go out on a Thursday night, student night, you know, free for one on bottles of VK in the club back then, all these kind of crazy little offers. But then – like I say, from 16 to 19, it was kind of just getting into it and just having it on a Saturday and maybe a Friday night. Going to Mag, I went to Magluff at 18 and all this kind of stuff. And like I say, had some fantastic times. But I realised that I was getting pulled into this kind of lifestyle. And I thought, well, you know what? I've done my football. Um, I'm going to go off to America. I'm not good enough to make it or anything like that. So I'm going to go off to yeah. America and coach. And when I was out in America... Um, well, I'd had a year in the building trade. I'd, I was getting more pissed up in there, sniffing every week. And I was starting to earn, you know, back then, probably about 300 quid a week or whatever it was. Yeah. I'm 35 now, so nearly 20 years ago. 
300 quid a week that I just I wouldn't really have any overheads in terms of like you know board and stuff like that I don't really think I've paid much um yeah. and again I'd just have it Friday and Saturday night I'd have coke so the more money I was earning it was still going in the same place wasn't that wasn't superficial in terms of clothes and stuff like that I'd still want to look nice and that but I didn't go out and spend 120 quid every Saturday on new jeans and that I thought well no I'll go and buy a couple of bags you know go yeah. drinking and like like you say it was all about just getting smashed with the lads I was a proper party boy wanted to be the last in the club and the early signs of my drinking were there that kind of thinking right you've got 30 quid left so if you take 80 quid out you buy a bag for like 40 quid back then you know which weighed at a point eight or whatever it was take that out i've got 40 50 quid left or whatever 40 quid left you know i've got 35 quid for beers beers were like one pound 60 170 back then and like i say my, all i would be thinking all the time is how many pints have we got left like that and then it was that rush of going in the cubicles with the lads getting away with it that whole kind of lifestyle of all the lads in it you know go on go and have a cheeky on yourself or, and the old lads then taking you under the wing and saying go and have some of this try this this is rocket fuel yeah I really fell into that lifestyle but then I got to a point where I was working in the building industry I fell through a roof on a building site um fell onto my back you know hung over or whatever jumped Jump straight up after a minute or so, like, I'm not going to go to the hospital because I'm a bloke. I want to just get back on, oh, I'm fine, lads, kind of thing. Um, yeah, yeah. And it, it, but it was, it was kind of just all madness. It was kind of then went to America. And when I was in America, you're living with families um, in, like, mansions and stuff like that. You're drinking, you've got cookouts, as they call them, but barbecues every night, swimming pools living and you're going from like one camp to another one. So I was in New England, like Boston area, Massachusetts, and you're yeah. going from a house to a different house every week and all these different parties. Um, and again, I met a girl when I was out there who was 32. I would have been 19 or just turned 20. Um, got to, we started seeing her out there, got in the relationship, you know, she'd drive and pick me up. She was half Italian and, um, but her family, it turned out, were mixed up in that they were part of the Boston Mafia. Yeah. So got mixed up with that. Saw some piles of the biggest cocaine you'd ever seen, you know, that was being shipped all around New England. Um, and it'd be, she'd be like, well, I'm, she had her own salon. So she'd be like, I'm working. Her brother would come and meet me and be like, oh, come, on, come on, English guy. I've got this stuff for you. Let's try this. Let's get some Bud Light and all this kind of stuff. And it, yeah. it was... Again, I thought I was the man. Then I started going to parties and there would be people who were like just loaded, just wedged, who were like, this was a son of a Hall of Famer for the Boston Red Sox. He'd just come out of prison for a six stretch and he had a machete in his car. And and I'm and my anxiety went through the roof. I'm thinking, I can't do this. Like there was as much coke as I could sniff. And I'm just like, my panic attacks were getting worse. And I did a runner back to England uh, just a yeah. week before Christmas because um, we were due to get married when I was out there. We, oh, wow. we got engaged. Uh, it was crazy. And I was going to do it just for the green card. Like I was nuts. You know, I was just thinking, well, I'll marry her and then I'm in all this cocaine. And, uh, you know, that's how my mind worked. Um, and then, I, you know, slowed down a bit. I came back to the UK, um, moved back in with my mum for a few months uh, or for a year or two got a steady job, went to work for Vodafone and I'm like, right, okay, brilliant. And I had a bit of a period where it all calmed down and I'm like working and I'm smashing the sales and, 
my, my life was good again. You know, I was healthy. I was going to the gym, doing a bit of like boxing, boxing circuit training, all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. And then I got to the point where I was just earning more money than ever before. I was good at sales. I went into it and I started smashing it. And this is where my journey, when I start telling the story really for businesses, really comes in. So I won't give loads away, right? Yeah, but yeah. Yeah, of I start telling stories um, relating to the workplace about kind of companies I work for, like, you know, your Vodafones and stuff, without throwing anyone under the bus at the companies. But the kind of things I do, you know, like collapsing at Christmas dues and, the, you know, laughing about it on a Monday morning and all these yeah. crazy things, conferences. Um, now, touching on my personal life, um, you know, myself and Sophie, we met at college and, you know, then went our separate ways, got together a few years later. So in that, you know, few years down the line and, you know, we've had kids and stuff like that. But it's kind of that balance of the kind of stuff people will do at a weekend who work in your companies and you will never know from like stealing cars to being homeless, living in a hostel. I did all these kind of things. Um mm-hmm. And yeah, like I say, and I went on that madness. My 20s was just crazy from like having, earning ridiculous money, you know, having a house which almost was an, a posh, not posh, a nice drugs den, if you like. You know, you think of a drugs den, you think of like an absolute shithole, don't you? It wasn't. Yeah. It was it, it was nice. It turned into a shithole eventually just because there was that much drugs flying around and people coming in and, and stuff like yeah. that. I was like, you know, and getting kicked out just because I was at these, you know, amazing apartments and then just blowing it. Um, but yeah, and that's kind of the route. So I was going down. I'll take yeah. a breather and kind of let you get any <laughs> questions than there's me going all the way through. Yeah, I just I just like the fact, Patrick, that you were like, I'm not going to throw anyone under the bus, Vodafone. That, that, was a, <laughs> that was a good one for me. I'm not going to throw anyone <laughs> under that bus, but Vodafone. Patrick, just a quick one, mate. That was that was a cracking story, by the way. I was a roller coaster of yeah. emotions. I can't lie. Um, yeah. I think before Lewis asks the serious questions, I want to ask one: Did the mafia ever try and track you down? So this was this or... was it, right? So when I was at um, some of the parties, some of the stuff they'd say to you, they were joking around, but you could tell they were serious. They'd say, "Hey, bro, you know, don't ever mess my sister around because England ain't that big. We'll come and find you, stuff like that." And you're going, "Yeah, yeah," like that, and you've got this bro <laughs> putting his hand on your back, and you're like, "Oh, all right, now, now, I promise I won't." And like, just yeah, it, it was the the way I kind of left it. I think she kind of just respected the fact that I'd got in too deep. She knew I was a young lad, and I, I think you know, it wasn't as if I was there under like some like big gang holding me there or something. I was yeah, there yeah. With, with this girl. Um with so with a family member of of the kind of more serious people in there. And you know, I didn't do anything bad. You know, it's not as if I was there beating her and then I've had to do a runner. It was the fact I was just like, no, I've got in there with my head. There's too much drugs, there's too much going on. Um, and I think at the time, so in America there's quite a big problem with so some of the stuff we talk to businesses about are like prescription tablets. So it's not only like your coke and your weed and your heroin and stuff like that in businesses. It's prescription drugs, things that might not even show up on a drugs test, depending on what they test for, depending if they've got rotating panels, stuff like that. But in America, it's massive, and I think they call them like perks or something like that. And I found out, because I was a young lad, didn't even know anything about them, but she was taking a lot of them, because I'm like, why does the, why is she up all night, every night, like till six in the morning, and just looking wired and sleeping all day and stuff like that? 
Um, so she was quite a troubled soul, um, if you like, you know. And I think back now to the age difference as well, like she'll be about 48 now, you know. And I think that, you know, imagine if I had got married as a crazy 20 year old and, you know, how, how different my life would have been if I'd stuck yeah. around through that Christmas and, and done all that. But yeah, no, luckily enough, there was no horses' heads on my pillow or anything like that. That's all right then, mate. That's all right. I was just about to say, you know, with our worldwide following, you could be in trouble if we're we're casting a name <laughs> abroad. Exactly. After this yeah. podcast, be in trouble. Yeah, well, if you don't hear from me in another couple of weeks, then it's it's all been your fault. Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Caught up. Yeah. I, th- I think my question would again agree with Ethan. What a story, like one hell of a journey. Um when when you were in those moments, again, th- those earlier years. Did you think you had a problem? So if, if, if there's a 20-year-old out there who, or 20, early 20s, who goes out on the piss all the time, starting drugs probably for the first sort of couple of years or first year or so, because I, I remember when I first started drinking, you feel absolutely invincible. It gives you that, like, you go on a night out and you, you're walking like you're the man because I've got that bit of confidence. Like, you're with the boys. And again, like you say, you've got that lad's culture. It's like, when you've got that energy and you go on a night out and you just feel top of the world, you de- like yeah. I look back and think, wow, I had a problem with alcohol because I was out. It, it's yeah. definitely not healthy to be out four, five nights a week. And I was, um, but back then, cause I, I definitely didn't go to the extent that you did. Did you ever think shit, I have a problem and this is too much. No, no. And and it's, it's, it's a really interesting topic. And again, this is why we're not anti-alcohol, right? Because yeah, for someone to try and understand that they're going to have a problem in 15 years' time and say, but you're not going to live that problem, it's almost like saying to she- uh, to Michael Owen, you know, don't bother playing football because you might score all these goals when you're younger, but you're going to retire at 30 because your hamstrings will give way and you're not going to enjoy it and stuff like that. He's going to be like, oh, hold on, I want those highs. Like I said, I had yeah. some of the best times of my life. Now, when I was in rehab, there was a young lady, 19 and he had got psychosis due to smoking weed with spicing. He was from, um, I won't say the company, big construction company. He was the stepson of the MD for a over 2,000 employee construction company, right? Um, yeah. And he was self-paid. So he was in the Priory. He was costing five and a half grand a week. And I said, how long have you been here? It was like a couple of weeks. Turned out he'd been in there eight weeks, right, by this point. He didn't remember the first six weeks because he was that out of his nut talking wow. to chairs and stuff like that. And it had really got him, but he was from a really posh, well-off family. Um, you know, really nice lad. And he had to try and deal with the fact that he was an addict. So he had a problem because he his behaviours of kind of, he'd been like one of those rebellious drinkers, secretly drinking, taking drugs. It wasn't a case of, you know, mummy and daddy chucking him in a rehab facility. Like he was mixed up in completely the wrong stuff. Now, I even question, I'm like, well, was he was he an addict? And time will tell. And I, I know he relapsed many a time because he was then going off to uni, you know, and it's like, are you really going to go through uni and not do it? And it's yeah, like, I'll, it's not a chance. I'll, I'll, exactly. And I'll speak to companies and I'll say, right, okay, when we're going in, I'm not interested really too much in your young lads, 21, 22, who are drinking at weekends, popping the odd pill at a weekend and going to IB for, for a week or two getting out the nut, trying to, you know, shagoo they're doing, you know, all these different things, that lifestyle, because it's part of growing up. It's one of the things. However, I would still want to talk to them. It's a bit like doing daring at school with the young kids in it. You still want to do it, 
what yeah. relevance it'll have down the line, I don't know. But if we can go in and share a really powerful story that relates to them and say, you know, I went to Magaluf, I did this, you know, my mate fell off the third floor of a balcony in EIB for all these kind of stories. And we, we tailor our story. I tailor my story based on the company I'm speaking to, the industry they're in, whether it's construction, you know, my roof story comes out. If it's sales, my, you know, conference story comes out and collapsing yeah. here and there. And what the kind of shit that I've done, like messaging a marketing director off my nut at two in the morning, who's you know, some inappropriate message, whatever it is. Do you know what I mean? There's all these yeah. kind of stories because then they go ah oh, right and for those young people who are like 21 22 if we can get them just to remember the story and go oh i sniff it a week and i do this but i haven't got a problem as long as we can have that impression where in a few years time to go ah what he said a few years ago you know i know now that i can speak out you know because my big problem and i mentioned vodafone was if i knew um I went through disciplinaries for like lateness and stuff like that. I'd won like best UK young salesman. I'd won different awards. I was one of the top sellers for the whole of Vodafone. Um, and it was late lateness in the end that caught me out. How, like ridiculous thing because I'd been, I'd won awards that year and all stuff. Um, and they ask you in your um, like disciplinary, is there anything we can do to support you? Is there anything? And you go, no, no, it's fine. I'll, I'll be better. I'll be on time. And they sit there going, well, you've triggered all these things like I'm sorry but you've got to go and even the lady I remember back then who let me go cried she was like I don't want to let you go you're so good you know but rules are rules and you've you've told us there's nothing we could do now yeah looking back if I'd known that I could speak to them and say look I'm late because I've got anxiety because I'm drinking too much I've got a coke problem I need your help whether I would have took the help back then I don't know, you know, I would have asked for it and maybe been, but if I'd have been educated on what drugs are doing to me, the dangers behind it, the fact that what it does to your mental health down the line, the fact of the money side of things, you know, my whole outlook could have changed a bit. I might still have gone on to be a madhead in my twenties and just do some of the craziest shit in the world. But yeah. At least I would have had that education because even when I went into rehab and stuff like that, I didn't know what I was doing. I just rang Booper and said, look, I've got medical insurance. How do I get into rehab? You know, my doctors turned me back. I went to the odd cocaine anonymous meeting, narcotics anonymous, all that kind of stuff. But I didn't know how to get sober. So having someone like me come into a business and say, look, this is what happened to me. I was just like you. You know, I was from a good family. You know, these are the kind of stories I'd do. I'd stolen vans on nights out, then on the Monday gone and got 20 sales and stuff like that. And people go, oh, yeah. fucking hell, I've done that. You know what I mean? And, you know, maybe yeah, yeah. I've had a problem. And it, it's just kind of the, the bit I want to end, the bit that really is like my driver is the anonymity side of things. So I respect anyone who wants to be anonymous and the whole way people not been ready straight away to admit to everyone they've got a problem but yeah there was a there was a documentary on the bbc called inside recovery i don't know if you saw it it was about a month or two ago and it was about alcoholics and ominous no i don't think it, i've seen that so it, it was on the bbc it's probably on iplayer um I'll watch but, it. yeah i will watch it's, it's a good watch and some of the values in the 12-step program are really good like and you know i've done the 12-step program as well um but I'm not in AA or anything like that anymore. I do ABRT, Addictive Voice Recognition Technique. Um, okay. But 
But on this documentary, basically, it, the faces were distorted and the voices were changed. And these were people who'd been in recovery like 18 years. And I think they were doing it from an angle of, look, it's anonymous, you know, but how are we ever going to get rid of the stigma and get your HR directors and your people managers to understand that you've got an addiction and understand yeah. what it's doing and why it's impacting on your performance, but you're still a good guy. You're still a really good salesperson, but you're battling an addiction and you need help. How are we going to do that if we don't admit to people that we've got a problem and that we're seeking help? Or, you know, we're ashamed to even say, we're ashamed to even tell our own family members or friends that we don't want to drink. Because, and we make up stories like, oh, I'm driving or I'm doing this or I'm just having a break because I've got work early in the morning. And the truth is that you, you just don't want to drink, but you can't say it because society tells you if you don't drink, you're not cool or you're yeah, bored. That's it. And, and that's, that's it. So for so many people like yourself, you don't want to go to the pub and drink watch football and play pool because you're thinking well if i do that my mates are gonna have a right dig at me they're gonna call me all sorts of names through banter which is yeah, you know yeah. i love laugh for the best of them but that's the truth behind it that you don't want to be the one who's looked at and you get you don't want to be one who's not mad enough to do all this crazy shit at the end of the night yeah the it's almost people, admitting it, it's like admitting the weakness isn't it it's saying to everyone i because like because I, I, I'm at that stage now of trying, probably removing myself from social situations to, instead of having the awkward conversations. And we, and we talked about this before, actually, around like lads banter. And I, I love it. Like, I love absolutely ripping my mates to shit. Yeah. And I love them. I actually get a really weird kick out of them having my life because I find it a crease. Like, I love the, them taking the piss out of me. It's, it's, it, if I'm having a shit day, it just makes you laugh. I, I'm, yeah. I'm almost like, I'll, I'll bite back with really crap bites. So then they'll rip me more just to like, all right, I've had my laugh now. Life's good sort of thing. But it's different when it's a real thing. Like if they're taking the piss out of me for being bold or they're taking the piss out of me for not sounding like a Geordie, but even though I live here and all that sort of stuff, like it's funny. But when it's going, actually, lads, in a serious situation, I'm not drinking because you know what? It's not what I want to do and I want to be healthy or whatever. Everyone's like, fucking hell, that's a bit serious. When you come out for a few pints, why are you, why are you bringing the tone down? Like it's yeah. almost like that, and you feel like you're a bit of a dick for for doing that. But yeah. a really interesting point that, that that you mentioned about people putting a face to it. Recently, we had um, Chris Maples on from who previously was the um, a director for Spotify, uh, so VP for Spotify. He was on. How, how, was he on three three episodes ago, Ethan? I think we have we haven't put it out yeah. yet. Um, yeah, it's on the horizon. Yeah, so Chris was talking all about him getting to when when you when you're reporting into Daniel Ek as the founder of Spotify, and you hit that career real height, and the pressure of drinking and again cocaine and and his his life eventually hit a breakdown because he didn't admit it. He said he was struggling with it, and that was the way he coped with his stress. Yeah. And like he would almost hide himself away and just go and get pissed and. Yeah, and and people like Chris or people like yourself or one day me talking about things, whatever, Ethan, like that's what will help people because pe as yeah. you say, doing it anonymously on the BBC, whilst it's great because the topic of conversations out there, we need faces and, and real people to say, I am this real person, like I fucked up, 
this is how I fucked up. Please learn from my mistakes so you don't do the same shit that I've done. Because yeah. you know what? It, it just destroys your life. Absolutely. And you know, when you look at, um, you think back to yourself of what an alcoholic is, and I go into business and say, what's your idea of an alcoholic? And they say, oh, the old man who, who's drinking every day in Weatherspoons has eight pints, and you're going, Fuck, are you out again? And the truth yeah. is, you're probably putting more away than in smashing 20 beers, and then you're having shots, and then you're going home. And it, it's kind of like you say, you, you always compare yourself to people. So I used to say stuff like, well, at least I'm not on heroin. At least I'm not on this. At least don't take crack and stuff like that. Um, yeah. But it, there's, a, there's a saying, isn't there? You know, where there's a few different sayings. You know, first the man takes the drink, and then the drink takes the man, and that's where it gets to the stuff that you've mentioned with your friends, which is like, you know, where they they just can't stop or they want to hide away, and then they don't want to drink because of the anxiety. Because, like I said, that whole feeling of being anxious and not wanting the fear in the next day was the reason why I started drinking in the mornings. I'm like waking up when I already can't face reality. And I got to the point when we're drinking again, and I'll, I'll come into it in my story with businesses where some jobs, um, there was one job where they rang me up the next day, the, the director of the company, and it was only three jobs. Um, and he, he says, what are you doing? I said, I said, what? And I've been out, my he'd been away for two days and I'd had the office to myself and all the other lads were in different, part of the office so i had a bender while I was at work ringing clients trying to sell prepaid funeral plans right okay oh, and he went into the office there was still bits of coke on my desk yeah there was empty um strongbow dark fruits cans in the in the bin in in his office bit as well and he said i would have covered for you because he would he liked it himself a bit but not to the level i did um, but he said some of the lads who walked in the office and gone, what the hell? And some of them were young lads who were like, they'd never worked for a company. They, didn't, they weren't, hadn't been around that scene. He was like, I've got to let you go. Um, yeah. But that's the stage I got to where in a working day, I'd be selling a policy to a 70-year-old man for him and his wife for health insurance to cover him for his old cancer condition or whatever it was, really serious stuff. Yeah. And it might be... 10 in the morning, I've sold a policy, and then at half 10, I'm nipping next door to the Bessemer in Sheffield and having a having a pint or nipping to Lloyd's around the corner. Then I'm having two or three on my dinner. And then after, like, and I'm constantly just going to the toilet just to splash my face with water, just like thinking about my next drink. There'd be days as well, though, where I could go two or three weeks, four weeks without having a drink because... Yeah. An alcoholic doesn't necessarily have to drink every day, but it's that relationship with the drink. You know, when you, you can have an alcoholic who can complete dry January mm -hmm. because, again, it's the stopwatch because they're saying to themselves, I'm not going to have a drink till the 1st of Feb. Now, I don't think I ever did make it all the way through because I used to be with my drinking as it progressed and the four or five day possible because obviously there's a danger when you're drinking at that level of if you come off it completely you can have um fits and all sorts of you know epileptic seizures all sorts of stuff but there's a lot of people who will justify themselves by saying well i don't drink on a tuesday wednesday thursday so if i drink friday saturday sunday you know and maybe on a monday i can't have a problem i'm not drinking every day um and it's it's this piece, this is the key bit for me. It's the education to businesses of what it looks like. And I think when we go in, what we do is when we share the solutions, we look at solutions for businesses. So you've mentioned cold water therapy. You know, we look at one of my old companies, they put we put a plate into place a gym scheme where 
every Tuesday and Thursday, you know, because we were during the pandemic, people could go to the gym on a Tuesday and Thursday. You get an extra half an hour dinner, so you get an hour and a half, right? Because you've got like mums and dads who can't go before, they can't go after work. So we'd say, look, go Tuesday for an hour and a half, you know, have have a bite to eat on the way back. Thursday, do the same. And it meant on a Monday night and a Wednesday night, they might not drink, you know, or they'd eat better or they make better decisions around the health and they'd start going as a team. So then they'd go, well, I go on a Tuesday and Thursday. I'm going to go on Friday as well after work. Yep. Or I'm going to do that. And it's getting your workforce. You've got the, the old style cycle to work schemes, even in construction where they'll chuck a bike on the back of the van when they're working away and stuff like that. But it's finding things to replace the alcohol. And I think that's the key. The key thing is to, because if you just turn around to people and say, look, you can never drink again. And and like you like you've said, Ethan, you know you've not got misses, or you know you've got all these different things. It's going to be very hard, you know, like to just turn and and that idea. There's a big thing in recovery about one day at a time. Um, it's probably a phrase you you hear quite a lot, which is, you know, some people only go a day at a time. They say, I'm not going to drink today. I'm not going to drink tomorrow, or whatever it is. See, I'm all about kind of all in. Because the way I look at it is, if I just invite my addiction back the next day and say, you know, I'm not drinking today, it'll go, okay, no problem. I'll come and see how you are tomorrow, you know. Yeah. I'll come back twice as strong. Yeah, it's constant battle. It's kind of turning around all the time going, you know, I'm committed. I'm never going to drink again. I'm never going to take a drug again, you know. But it's, it's kind of... Do I invite it back to say to me, right, okay, do you want to drink today? You know, you've you've had a problem. You've had an argument with someone. You've had this and that. Just have a drink. Because eventually, I, I just feel you'll cave in. And it, it's really interesting when you go to all the different groups like CA, NA, AVRT, all the different mindsets. Because I, I found Alcoholics Anonymous, there was a lot of people who would just go, oh, I've not had a drink for three days. And then you'd go four weeks later and the same person, I've not had a drink for two days. You know, I couldn't help myself. But, hey, it's one day at a time, so I'm not going to drink today. And it's almost validating an excuse of yeah. you are going to drink again, but you're just not doing it today. You might do it tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Almost putting off the inevitable on you. You're almost – it's like almost delayed gratification because you're, you're saying, right, okay, I've had day one without a drink. I might have one tomorrow or – you know, I've got five days, and then when you have that pint, you're like, "Oh, I've earned it because I've had four days or a week where I've not yeah. drank," and you get even more of a buzz and satisfaction, satisfaction, or whatever yeah, the fucking it, word is, promise. That, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you, start, you start saying to yourself stuff like, "Well, the longest I've ever done sixteen days, so now I'm at twenty-four days. If I have a drink, I'll just start again because it's not that." Rather than going, look, I'm up to this, because I still count the days to a level. Like, I don't know my exact number today. It's like 1,300 and whatever. Um, but I know where I'm at in terms of months and stuff like that. But I just feel there's too much of an excuse with people where they go, well, you know, and that, and it's part of the addict brain. It turns around and it makes you complacent because it'll turn around and go, look, how can you have a problem? You've not had a drink for 24 days. Go and have a drink. Like I've not, I've not drank for three months. Going and I've seen people in recovery for like seven years, ten years plus, who have relapsed. You know, and it's through something stupid where then they've just gone back on spiraled out of control. Where they've gone, well, I've not had a drink for seven years. If I have a drink now, I'm not going to be like I used to because my mindset's changed. And within a few weeks, they're back at the bottle every day. They're drinking every day. They're in a mess. And, you know, I know I know people who... And there was a guy my dad told me about, because my dad went into rehab. Um, 
about 30 years ago through more not for the psychological side you know after a divorce and all that kind of stuff but he was telling me a story about he worked on a building site he'd got sober for a few years um you know went out and had a drink and we've been because he'd been told he had a dodgy liver and he thought you know his liver had mended he'd not had a drink for a few years had a drink started drinking every day he was dead within three months you know and it's there's so many of these stories and what I was touched upon before was when you look at who an alcoholic in a pub is, you know, people have this perception, you know, when you hear of someone who you go, right, okay, like an old family friend or something, you go, oh, he died when he was 60, he had a big bulbous nose and he drank every day and oh, he died, he was always going to die, he's all right, pisshead. And then you're there at 20 odd, 30 years old, drinking every day, you're drinking every night, you're out Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you're drinking more yeah. than these people. It's easy to become that guy. Well, yeah. people go, I'll never be like that. I'll settle down when I'm 30. And you get to 30, you go, I'll settle down when I'm 32, 33. I'll, I'll settle down when I find a wife. I'll settle down. And then you get married or whatever. You have kids and you go, oh, I still like a drink. So you know, I'm just going to go out every Tuesday with the lads or every Saturday after football and just have a pint on a Saturday and a curry. And it just goes on and the age gets on. I know blokes in the 40s, 50s who are still bang on the sniff and that. And you just can't see it ending for them in any other way. Yeah, it won't. Yeah, it, it won't now. It's almost something. So for me, something that I read before we get into the next section, I suppose this is the, the, the question. Do you think that addicts have to hit rock bottom before they then get out of it? Um, no, um, I no. think. But the, I suppose the interesting part of that is what is rock bottom to one person compared to another. Just yeah. at this point, can I pause it a minute and go for a of week? Because I am absolutely Just mute it a second, won't we? All right. When, he, when we come back, ask the question again. Yeah. So then it cut well. out. And then yeah. what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask what. Like what, uh, how he is today, sort what, of thing. Now I'm gonna ask what his rock bottom was, and if okay. he hit it. And you then what he is, did, and yeah, he he did say he did hit rock bottom. Yeah, um, I don't know what so it was before. though. What the moment was, and then we'll talk about where his life is today, and then we'll hear no evil, see no evil, and then done. Yeah, cool. That's good. But it, do you know what? it's great getting like proper speakers on? You can always tell when we yeah. get a guest who's a proper speaker versus someone who is like if we look at that james for example versus patrick or whoever like when there's a speaker you can just tell they it's not like they've rehearsed their story but they're, they're so much more confident in how they tell the story like there's a bit more like description to it isn't there exactly exactly there we go sorry about that we it, it's the one thing i'm always wary about you know when i do a speak yeah is, just time have it. I, so have I had a wee first? Yeah. Water. Can't drink loads of water before, but then you don't want to get dry mouth when you're on stage, so it's just like sipping and it's... But yeah, like yeah, I said... No, it's no, I'll ask the question again, because then it, I, th I yeah. think it was a good question. So um, in terms of addicts, do you feel like um, an addict has to hit rock bottom before they realise that they really have a problem and then they can start to do the work to overcome their addiction? Um, no, and I, th I think I think the key bit with this is everyone's rock bottom is different. Um, so it's one of the things they actually say, like I say, there's some really good bits in the 12-step program um, that I do really like, whether I do it or not now. Um, but 
it says, look, not everyone will reach the same highs and the same lows. And it, it comes actually into something which I mentioned on the last bit, which was um, your perception of, okay, but at least I don't do heroin or at least I don't do this and I don't do that. So I've sat in groups with people and heard some crazy stories, you know, and then they've listened to mine and they say, well, your story is crazy. So I went to some of the little war stories and stuff that I've done. Um, you know, getting arrested on a on a family holiday in Devon and stuff like that. There's crazy things that you'd never do sober, you know, just for drunk yeah. and disorderly and stuff. Um, but like I say, everyone's rock bottom is different. Some people as well, not everyone who gets sober is a full-blown addict or a full-blown alcoholic. Some people will get sober because they're a bit of a nightmare when they have a drink, but they find the right one, they find the missus, someone who calms them down. They have a child, you know, they get into that career or they move down. For the real alcoholic, if you like, there's someone who's got a serious drink problem. Um, It will take something massive and it it will be. So to give you an idea of mine, all these different stories. And I'm talking like, for example, just to just to give you a bit of kind of how to compare it. So Mm -hmm. Sophie's 30th birthday. I had every intention. It was meant to, it was going to be an amazing night, right? The sat, the Sunday was her birthday, but on the Saturday, I arranged for about 25, 30 family members and friends to go to Browns in Nottingham. And uh-huh. we all went for food. Um, we had, you know, a meal booked. It was a surprise. She thought she was just going for a meal with me. I, I, you know, I got the kids to go with like the grandma and it was all done, all brilliant. We had a fantastic night, right? Got through it, loads of food, loads of everything. The bill was done. Um, people started going home. There was flowers everywhere. We shoved them in the car with with her mum. She took all the presents and stuff. And we said we'll stay out for a couple of drinks. Me and her, we'll go to a casino. You know, she's really tanked up at this point. She'd had a lovely night, right? Uh-huh. We went, and when we got to casino, I'm thinking, well, you know, all the family's gone now. I could do with a bit of tickle. I could do with, you know, I know there's different names for coke everywhere you go, but basically, I wanted to get a bit of bag and. I arranged it, I got it, and I got two dropped off, 160 quid's worth dropped off. And I'm thinking, right, she's quite drunk. And in my head, I'm thinking, right, she had a great night, let's get home. We had her like 50 quid's worth of spins in the casino or whatever, jumped in an Uber, stopped by a garage on the way home, got some drinks, got home. She pretty much fell straight to sleep. And I said to her, come on, let's get you to bed. You know, you've had a great night, got her to bed. Went back down to the living room, Sky Sports News on, you know, whatever, yeah. eight, eight out of 10 cats on loop, whatever it was. Sniffing, I've got a plate of Coke. I'm, I'm happy. I'm opening bottles, getting drunk. Anyway, hours and hours go by. Eight in, about eight-ish in the morning, half eight in the morning, she wakes up. She comes downstairs. I hear her coming. I'm curtain twitching kind of thing. And by this point, I'm off my head. I've got, you know, maybe a gram left or half a gram left, not not a lot. Um, so I've had a gram and a half. I'm off my head. And she comes down and she's like, what are you doing? It didn't click to me. It's her 30th birthday, Right. The, the addict in my mind was just like, right, don't let her see the coke, hide the coke. She saw it and she was going to like swipe it off. And I'm like, no, no, like bagging it back up, chucking it in. Was like, she was like, well, this is my 30th birthday. How can you do this to me? It didn't matter what she was saying. I was half blacked out. I'm like, no, I need to get out. Stuck my clothes on and she was trying to stop me at the house. By this point in our relationship, uh, you know, the kids, I, I didn't used to do it around the kids. I used to, yeah. you know, when they were out or I'd go missing for days on end. And she just wanted me to be home. She knew I had a really bad problem. And this was, um, I think, four months before I got sober. And it was, like I say, really sad. I did a runner 
and left the house, went up to Weatherspoons all day on this Sunday, missed her birthday meal for her mum's with all her family there and stuff because I'm off my head. Um, came back at about six at night, half six at night, and I tried to, I couldn't get in. I, couldn't, I was that drunk, couldn't remember the key safe code, uh, code to get in the house. Um, so I tried putting, we've got like pretty much bulletproof windows and doors in our house. Like they're, they're like proper, the police doors and stuff. You can't put yeah. a window through whatever. I'm trying to put a plant pot through the window. I smashed one panel of the glass, realized like what I'm doing. And she's come back and this is on her 30th birthday, right? And this is where the addict mind takes you, all right? Roll forward a few months. So I'd done this and, you know, she forgave me and she knows I had a problem. Um, a couple more things happened. Like I got arrested on holiday, I'd, you know, drunk and disorderly. Just too drunk, off my head on wine. That wasn't even drug related. That's just too much wine and just not being able to stop drinking through the night, right? On the 29th of July, so that year, this is the day I got sober. So we, we'd we been to London to watch Only Fools and Horses, the musical, had a really good time, was there for three days, you know, I was drinking every day, but I was controlling it, there wasn't any coke, I was getting a little bit of sleep, and then I came back, and on the Friday, I disappeared off the train, so she'd done all this for me, she took me away, you know, we've been to see it, I don't remember the show, because I was too drunk, but essentially, we got back, and I'm just a troubled soul at this point, I'm just lost, you know what I mean, I'm just, de- like, not dead behind the eyes, but, you know, not far off, um, Yeah, and I've I've gone and bought coke. Second, we've got a train gone missing on the Friday. Come back on the early hours of the Monday morning. Um, broken man, you know, I'd spent probably a grand. I don't know what, you know, just absolute mess. I've been popping home, just like nipping in, like when she's out to get a char- get my charger and get whatever and just, you know, maybe have a quick shower and then back out. Um, and I had some coke left, I had some drink. And at eight, about eight in the morning on the Monday, I'd just finished my last bit of coke. Um, I just put out in the house where the kids were getting up for school, like I say, and I was in this part of the house where they came in and they're like, morning, daddy, like, how are you doing? All this kind of stuff. Why, why are you on the sofa kind of thing? Because, <laughs> again, I'd not, I didn't really do it. I didn't think they really knew much because I didn't do it around them. Um, but I had to get in the house at some point, right? And I knew it was over. We'd fell out, and she said, look, I can't do this anymore, all this kind of stuff. So I was a broken man. But I was having pain in my chest. And I turned around to my lad and I was like, can you get me a drink of water? And he, no, sorry. Turn around to my lad and say, can you get me a drink? Meaning like water. I mean, you know what lads are like. He would have been about eight and seven or eight. And he was like, no, no, get your own kind of thing. And my daughter, she just turned five. She turned around and went, I'll get you a drink, daddy. So this is eight in the morning. I'll get you a drink, daddy. What do you want? Do you want a beer? You like beer, don't you? And for oh, some reason, fuck. like you compare those two stories, you know which one's more But it's that moment where just something broke inside me and I'm like I don't want to be this guy that's that's not a role model that's not who you want your kids to look up to and it was at that point I was just like I was just like right cried my eyes out went upstairs you know the door slammed behind me the kids are gone to school she's gone to work um and that was it I rang Booper you know I didn't want to be here anymore I wanted to you know I didn't get to a point where I'm like I'm gonna kill myself you know and that's when you've got to put your hands up because I think there's a big difference between saying I don't want to be here anymore and actually envisaging doing it. And because I don't think I would have. Okay. I think you just I'm didn't want to be in that situation anymore and it got too much and you needed to get yourself yeah. out of, you, when you say you didn't want to be here, it's be here in that situation as much. I didn't want to be in my own head. I didn't want to um, you yeah. know, face up to the things I was doing in my life and like lose, lose my family and stuff. And 
you know, it took that one little moment from from her to kind of make me realise. And I rang Booper. Um, I got booked in. I went to my mum's for a few days um, to get away. So I was almost locked up there for a couple of days before I was the space at the Priory came up. I went into the Priory, did a 10-day detox in there. I was in there for six weeks, but the first 10 days was on Librium. So I was still off my head, but in a healthy way. <laughs> almost yeah. like coming off the drugs. Um, and that's really where my journey started. And you mentioned accountability earlier. The, one of the things I did was I'd not told my company, so I was at GoDaddy at the time, and then I rang them and said, look, I've gone in, I'm going into rehab. So they almost were like, look, we had no choice. Like, you're going into rehab. It's not as if they can sack you at that point, right? And that was the, I didn't want to tell them before, oh, I'm, I've got a drink problem in case in your head, again, I'd, I'd dressed up that they could say, well, now you're sacked first. Um, yep. But when I was in rehab, about two weeks in, 10 days in or something like that, I started sharing my story on LinkedIn. And uh -huh. I said, look, uh, people who know me will know I've had a problem for many years. And I had about 12,000 followers connections at that point. I'm at about 18 odd thousand now or something. I might have been at 10 back then. Um, yeah. And it got about 1,500 likes and or 1,700 likes and a couple of hundred thousand views and stuff like that. Um, yeah. there's people wishing me well people who you know you have your different groups growing up in your town and stuff like that people who I know didn't like me and I didn't like them were wishing me good luck were saying look well don't like and you realize why certain people didn't like you because of the life you were leading and you know when yeah. some people look down on people who do coke and all that kind of stuff and probably quite rightly so in a way you know what I mean but it yeah, was yeah. it was at that point that I kind of realized and that was my rock bottom um so out of the stories, even though I'd done more horrific things, you know, and, and kind of ruining her 30th birthday, it's guilt that I've had to learn to live with in terms of it. But you deal with it because you go, right, that's that's not me. And the best the best thing you start doing is to kind of overcome it and start dealing with your emotions. Like you'll receive letters from you. I received one from my mum and one from my missus. And it was kind of telling me how my usage had impacted on their life. You start looking and kind of admitting to all the things that you've done, all the kind of bad things that you've done in your life, and you start dealing with your emotions, you know, sober. Um, but one of the really telling tasks is you write down all these things like trustworthy, reliability, good dad, all these kind of things. Mark yourself out of 10, right? And mm -hmm. that's going yourself like eights, nines. You, know, you think I'm trustworthy. I'd never steal off anyone. I'd never do this. And it says when you were drinking at your worst, when you were an alcoholic or an addict, what would these scores have been? And then you start looking at all these stories going, well, I definitely wasn't trustworthy enough. I wasn't this, I wasn't that. And you start building this list of pain, which is what ABRT yeah. is. And it started building a list of pain here. And, you know, when you mentioned, Ethan, about um, not seeing what you could do without alcohol, you start listing this list of pain. And then you have another list, which is all the great things you've achieved. When you've been sober so okay i've done this i've become a dad again I've, I've all these different things and you say right would i have been able to do that when i was this guy and the answer is no so every time then my head goes to me oh you need a drink you've had a hard day you've had this i go right here's my list of pain this is what will happen if i have a drink these are the things i become when i've had a drink and then you look yeah. at this and you go this is what i'd lose if i start doing this i'm going to lose all these great things i've done i've built up my own business with my missus i've done all these kind of things i'm helping thousands of employees at different companies around the uk is it worth it for that drink of beer no and then it helps me kind of stay on the path you know whereas other people 
their rock bottom could be it could be anything it could be just losing a job it could be splitting up with the missus because they didn't realize how serious the situation when they're drinking was you know some people it can be prison you know so there's all sorts of things but now i think everyone's got a different rock bottom yeah do you know what that that was one hell of a story and, and me with um a young son that if that doesn't give me fuel enough like i'm being honest i never got to that to, to your level i have to be honest nowhere near that but even i have this fear in my head that like i'm going to be a, a dad who just wakes up one morning hung over as shit and my son goes ah oh, dad will you come play football with me or dad will do whatever and i'm just like because i know what I'm, if i'm hung over i just can't be asked to do anything yeah. and i just i just never want him to look at me as because when you're when you're hung over or you're pissed you're just you're just a mess aren't you and yeah, yeah and for mine, it isn't because it was ever out of control or any. It, it's not. It's just more the fact of just trying to be the best dad. Like he has profoundly changed yeah. me and who I want to be. And yeah, if there was ever a big motivation, um, that's certainly he's certainly it. But my, my... I, think, I think I think that's it. And um, like when you look at your family, and I know um, Dapalafs was talking about this. So Dapalafs is very early on in his journey. He's like three months, four months, and yeah, he obviously he's a bit of a celebrity. And sometimes you question, you know, why is he doing it? Is it for the money? You know, is he serious? And only time will tell with these kind of things. But he does hit a nail on the head. He, he talks about little stories with his kids. Like when he got married, he doesn't remember spending any time with his kids at his wedding or even his missus. And I start looking back at even events where we took the kids to like Legoland or places like that. And I was drinking or Thomas, like, I get confused all the ones we've been to and stuff like that. But yeah, yeah. Alton Towers, I think we went to the one of the ones there, CBB's land. And I remember getting smashed out of my tree that night. And when I look back, it's like you weren't at CBB's land for you. It's not like you're at Magaluf with the lads. Like you. Yeah, yeah. To them, you're thinking, you know, they, they still had a great time. They had their pictures with Postman Pat and stuff like that when they were a bit younger. But now, just even the last three weeks um, with Peaches and, and her being born and to spend that time and holding her and just, you know, being up for the night feeds, not going, oh, I'm hungover. You know, whatever it is, it's, it's life, it is life changing. And it's kind of realizing that where your priorities lie. And like I say, those priorities come at different times. You know, some people, they'll have the first kid in the mid-30s, they'll have whenever it is. But yeah. it, it is kind of just reprioritizing because that that look on their face is the reason why we're doing this. It's the reason why, you know, and it, and having that little moment with them to kind of change my life and just turn it around. Some people won't get that privilege because some people's drinking will go on and on. And that's why there needs to, like you said, be more people like us to go out and, tell yeah. people the reality that it isn't just all these memories and laughs in a pub and banter you know this is serious you know if you don't address a problem with alcohol or coke you're really going to go down a dark path yeah and to be honest you you and and sophie's posts on linkedin are incredible and i think to to get to from where you you were obviously i don't know a huge amount of sophie's story i've seen the, the weight loss that she's done and it's mate it's it's fucking incredible to be honest and yeah. Yeah, the, 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 what you both have done in, in terms of turning your life around from maybe being in an unhappy place to where you are today is nothing short of inspirational and you should both be super proud. And yeah, I, I'm great. I'm really grateful to one, have you on, but to have Sophia as a connection too, because I think you are both absolutely what social media should be. And as you say, not just setting people up to, to maybe live unrealistic 
um, expectations and stuff. Uh, my last sort of question around this would be, and you've probably touched on some of it, what what do you see your today and future looking like? Like you've said you don't want to drink again. You've said you don't want to do drugs again. But what do you want your future to be? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, great question. So there's two there's two sides. There's the personal side um, and there's the business side, right? So people, we go into this because I'm passionate about it. I worked in kind of head of sales roles, enterprise sales roles and did very well. And I, I chucked all that in to set up this business and it was either going to sink or swim, right? And, um, you know, we'll go into it and there's a mixture. So I'll go into big businesses, we'll do training, we'll earn good money, you know, and I'll do other stuff where I'll do stuff for free as well. Um, mm -hmm. I'll always do the bit where I, I help the end people. But my goal really is to educate over a million employees at different businesses over the next few years on alcohol awesome. and drugs. So that's the, that's the first thing, right? I want to end the stigma around alcohol and addiction in the workplace. Um, ultimately, with a business, there's different routes where I want to go on. I want to build up a stable of speakers, um, not all addiction, alcohol, things on neurodiversity, you know, addictions, eating disorders, all that kind of things, where Musgrove and Ball is kind of the front, and we get the best people in the UK to go out mm -hmm. to the biggest companies and best companies, and the small companies as well. You know, they shouldn't miss out just because you're a small company. Yeah. But all companies around the UK and really to start pushing the word. I think the mental health side of things, there's been a lot in the last few years, but no one's doing it around addiction and alcohol. Um, and like I say, but you've got to walk before you can run. So we're building up the clients. We've got some really, really big names coming on this year um, that we're in talk with, that we're taking bookings with. I don't like to give too many away because, you know, so we're getting paid and we're in the door, then that's obviously the key. But then there's the yeah. other side. So I think it's important. I've just took a full two weeks paternity, which a lot of people in the first year wouldn't do. You know, I'm, I'm confident enough the business is in a strong position that, you know, I want that time with my family. And I think time's everything. I want to get to the point where, you know, we live in a nice house and stuff like that, but which we already do. But I want to go to that next level, not to a ridiculous level, but I want to set my kids up you know, for yeah. life, want to, you know, set their kids up for life if I can do it well. But yeah. I'll just, I just want to be there for my family. So if it doesn't come to that, if we don't make the mega, mega money, you know, because again, it's not, it's not about the money for us. But anyone who says it's not playing a role, especially with the energy bills and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we all want to do well for ourselves at the end of the day and we want to make our kids proud. But that's it. Yeah. And I, I want to be present in all the big moments in the life. I don't want to be looking back in 20 years and go that I made the business more important than my kids' lives. So I'll make sure I'm at every school play. I'll make sure that I'm there to take them to different things or do a school run in the morning. I'm going to miss certain things, of course, Sam, because I'll be in London doing a talk or yeah. Manchester doing a talk. But I'll be there on yeah. every birthday. I'll be there on every Christmas. Um, and, you know, they, they won't go without i think that's the key thing and if i can do that um you know and i'm a good role model then that's great you know if they get to 18 they want to have a few drinks when i'm not one of those strict parents who's going to stop stop them or anything like that but i just want them to be the best they can be um so yeah i suppose i suppose that's what it is so there's two sides business and personal yeah to be fair yeah i was just going to say I left myself on mute unfortunately I was saying yes the whole time and trying to agree with you and I was on mute or so but 
But yeah, no, Patrick, it's it's a hell of a story, and you know, I wish you all the best luck, mate. I think it's absolutely phenomenal where you want to go, where you've been, and the stories that you tell. You know, I think not enough people are doing it. I think it's something yeah. that should be the stigma should be broken. You know, alcohol, yeah. drugs. You know, and as much as you're there, especially in the workplace to work, they have to look after yourself. You know, there's. There's not probably enough done in the rounds of employers looking after staff. I know myself and Lewis yeah. work for the same company and there are avenues, a lot of avenues that we have, but we work for a massive corporation, you know, whereas yeah. other companies, big or small, you know, they don't have that support. You know, and you, like you say, it's about removing that sort of aspect of maybe having the anxiety or being a bit shameful about it and being willing to accept and open up for help, for sure. I yeah. mean, you know something I would like to ask you as well, we do a segment on here called See No Evil, Hear No Evil. Um, so I'm interested to see where you, you come from this perspective. So I'll let you know maybe a podcast or a book that you listened to or read, whether you were sort of early on in your career when you obviously were in, involved playing and coaching football or whether something you do now to keep you busy when you're driving to, to let's say, a conference or anything like that. Have you got anything that you could recommend to our listeners or, or watchers? Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it all it all depends what you're looking for, right? Like I mentioned, the likes of James English and some of those ones. I'm a big football fan, Sheffield United fan, so I'll be at Wembley watching us get battered by Man City on Saturday. <laughs> in the, in the um, so I like ones like Under the Cosh. And yeah, Under the Cosh is class. Love Under the Cosh. Yeah, under the unreal, cosh. isn't it? Unreal. I think that's the one. That's the one I'd look at. I mean, I like Dapper Laugh's one as well. I think that's good. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd probably say under the cosh because again, I'm, I'm one of those. I'm, I'm not going to come on here, and start plugging loads of different things that people need to listen to. All these things to do with sobriety mm-hmm. and that life change. One one guy I will plug though, um, and he wouldn't have a clue if, whether he, in, I've spoken to him a few times. He might not know that much about me. Um, but there's a guy in recovery who I think is inspirational. He's from Liverpool and he's called Lee Butler, um, DJ Lee Butler. Um, and if you go on YouTube and look, he's been on a couple of different podcasts. Now, I'm not sure. I can't remember the names of the podcast, but they'll have so many thousands of views. But the way he talks about recovery, he talks about addictive voice recognition technique and the session and like the stuff that it does to you. And lots of lads that kind of are involved in that scene of having coke at a weekend and then having the come downs and the kind of battles and falling out with the misses and the, everyone's ringing oh, so and so's fell out with his misses way and stuff like that. He didn't come back till the Sunday way, all that kind of stuff. And he talks about that. Um, and I would recommend it highly. I can't remember which podcast it is, but you'll see it if you put it in YouTube, Lee Butler podcast. Yeah. And it's it's one of the ones when people reach out to me and ask for, for help and stuff, I'll talk to them about, you know, what's your financial situation? You know, are you able to get into a rehab? Have you got health insurance? All that kind of stuff. But also local groups, AA, NA, CA, because recovery is different for everyone. It's not a one size fits all. But when I noticed they're kind of similar to what I was with the whole drinking and the using and taking coke and stuff, I'll get them to listen to this podcast because they listen and they go, wow, like that's me. And I've yeah. some, of the, some of the podcasts he's done, he's done about three that I've found. Um, and one of them I've listened to about three times, you know, just to refresh my memory. If I'm having a week where I don't feel I've got a lot of work done, I'll have it playing in the background when I'm like preparing a deck for a company or something. And yeah, I would recommend him highly. 
Yeah, love that. We'll definitely give it a listen. Great plug. Uh, well, well, Patrick, that does bring us to the end of the episode. And what I would love to say is, firstly, thank you again so much for coming on. You have been a brilliant guest. Your insight, your personal lived experience, but equally your, your, your humility in opening up about your own experience has been one that personally I've gained a huge amount from. And thank yeah, you. Su- super keen to, to see your business thrive over the coming years 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 and years and years it's we'll always be happy to share like all that sort of stuff um i suppose the for any listeners how can they find you i know you've got a a decent following on linkedin are you on any other sort of social media platforms so yeah we're trying our best i've just uh, brought in a digital marketing manager who's trying to get up like our tiktok and instagram i feel bad he's tried to get me to do a tiktok video on a certain topic for the last two days and i've been like registering the baby coming on this podcast stuff like that yeah so i promised him i'll do it tomorrow but um they're all the same so they're all at musgrove and ball on linkedin it's patrick ball um sophie's on maternity at the moment but they can connect with her as well um the yeah. website musgroveball.com so uh, yeah they, they can all find me but linkedin's the one where I'm, I'm most active and obviously that's where most of the hr directors and heads of health and safety and the people who we connect with heads of well-being and jobs like that they are yeah no fantastic well patrick thank you very much for tonight we are me when, when you were off um, earlier, me and Ethan were saying what a wonderful guest you've been. And honestly, mate, wish you all the best for the future. And thank you for, for sharing your story. Thank you. It's been great to be on. Um, yeah, and no, let me know when it's on and uh, I'll watch it back and see how I sounded. Fantastic. Appreciate it. Great right, talk, man. Thanks, buddy. Let's go. Time to grind. Get inside your mind. Yeah, we working overtime. That's the only way to climb. We gon' make it in our prime. Signing on the dotted line. Cashing checks left and right. That's the way I'm living life.